Welcome to Pick Up Your Sticks, where we talk about why gaming matters, with your hosts, Walker Neer and Brett Lindley. I'm Walker, and today we wanted to honk about Untitled Goose Game and some other oddball indie titles. So, Brett, why does Untitled Goose Game matter? I think that Untitled Goose Game is a breath of fresh air in the indie space, and I think it's kind of heralding, at least in my opinion, a slight change in, and I mean, it's not like a massive change in indies, but it's a a combination of a visual style and a gameplay style that I'm just excited to see more exploration of, which I think is, uh, it's kind of multi-tiered. I think, to me, most importantly, it's a non-violent game. Um, which is not like a huge deal. I don't, I played everything from, you know, Doom 2016 to, to Pokemon, it, it, whether you call that violent or not, but just saying like cute games like Pikmin and stuff to, to really horrific graphic games. But I think that like just having more space in the market for a game that is still fun and like you're still a jerk. Like, so Untitled Goose Game, you are. Like it's it's a the the tagline for the game is like it's a quiet town and you're a horrible goose, like you're a mean goose. Like the whole point of the game is to do mean things and terrorize this town, but it's in a fun manner. And I also think that like the, also connected to, to the visual style, it's this kind of flat shell shade cell shaded style that is becoming prominent in a few games that are. Uh, some aren't quite out yet, like Ooblets, also following this kind of non-violent, cute, cel-shaded style. But I think that it's just, it, without being heavily marketed, it has blown up, which is awesome. It's really good to see. Like, it's, it's to the point where there are major news headlines talking about, like, goose crime and stuff, just because it's it's broken through that barrier. It's now outside of gaming culture and more into kind of standard culture. And that's easy for something like a, a well-established title, like a, a Mario or a Pokemon breaking into kind of your general news sphere. But it's a lot harder for an indie title uh, to, to do that. And, and there have been some really great niche titles of the past, but this is just, it does a lot of things just really well and and one of those other ones that i that i really like is just that uh i, I mean i watched a video on this the other day but it, it hit a few points really close to home which is that it's one of the first comedy games that does comedy like that like there's kind of a, 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 and we can talk into this but there's a, there's a couple of ways that comedy games tend to function and one of them is either press x to hear a joke like where you're just following the punchline uh, and this is more of or or just like look at how funny chaos is like goat simulator or surgeon simulator right where the point is you can't make things happen and that's the chaos is hilarious but this isn't either of those it's kind of like you create the jokes like it's it's a stealth game that's not i mean it is about stealth but everybody can see you all the time and there's no penalty for getting seen but like the the jokes are um, kind of emergent humor you are involved in them instead of just 
waiting for somebody to tell you them, right? And I think that that's that's a, a really interesting place to explore. Comedy is very subjective and it's very difficult to do in, I mean, in a lot of formats and especially in in a video game format like things can be funny story can be funny but emergent comedy is in my my opinion very difficult to pull off and i think that they're they're doing it and they're doing it in a way that i don't think many people expected so yeah yeah i mean i haven't actually played it yet um but you know i've heard heard things about it and you've been really excited about it for a couple of weeks now and like to me this is like this is just the quintessential example of why we do this podcast and why we we frame it as we do is why gaming matters because gaming offers a lot of things i mean it can offer you know fun co-op experiences like you and i had in borderlands or it can offer competitive experiences like people get in you know fortnite or you know or battle arena shooters or rocket league or whatever it may be um and so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of experiences that can come from it but it's it's and i don't know a word for it but it's like this this excitement that you have about it is like the distillation of why gaming matters because it's like it's just fun and it and it's when i say subversive i don't you know i don't i guess maybe that's not even the right word but i just mean like it's it's unexpected you know yeah, what i mean like it just kind of came out of nowhere you weren't reading about it in may anticipating untitled goose game coming out or something you know it just showed up on a store page and you maybe you heard about it somewhere or something yeah i had seen like i think i had seen one random maybe like a twitter clip or a gif or something or something on image or something i don't know but at that time when i heard of it and and heard it called untitled goose game i assumed that it literally was an indie in development of some goose game that had yet had a title like that it would eventually get a title and be called something and it's just called untitled goose game and I didn't think that it was going to be something that I was interested in. And it's funny because I I don't, it's not in all reality. It is a third person puzzle stealth game. Like it, in its raw elements, it's, it, it plays more like a metal gear solid, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, but it's not, it's just so because like a lot of the goals, like, all of the people in the town walk have paths and have patterns right so the the gardener will walk about his garden and plant uh you know dig up a plant in the garden and then move it to a wheelbarrow or something and come back and the only thing that every single person like they all have little idle things that they'll do in the town but the only thing that all of them have in common is if they discover an item that is out of place in their little zone they will try to rectify it by putting it back in its place. Uh-huh. So that's just like, that's the, the main, so the main gameplay loop is disrupt their patterns and get them to do different things. So like the farmer, if you like you, the very first thing you got to do is get into the garden, right? Spoilers, goose game spoilers. Oh my God. But you do that by like, you're outside this little fenced in area and you can't get in and he's like planting some plants or something if you turn on the water outside there's like a water spigot and there's a hose running into the garden and a little sprinkler well if the sprinkler turns on he'll either get wet and like flail about and you know brush himself off or he won't and either way when he discovers the water is on he'll open up the gate and then turn the water off right and like so now the gate is open and he doesn't close it when he goes back in so now you can get in and 
from there, like anything you disrupt in the garden, like if he sees you move something, you'll get chased. And that's most people will chase you if you have something of theirs, right? Mm. And they can't hurt you. They just take it away from you and you flap your wings and you honk at them. And then maybe that gets them out of an area though. So you can get somebody distracted by carrying away a carrot or something and they get mad at you. And while they're bringing the carrot back, now you can run to the other side of the garden and pick up a radio or, you know, a pair of keys or something and run off with those. And, and cause, it's just causing mischief constantly. But it's it's all a puzzle because, like, you have a little to-do list. And to unlock each zone, you have to complete all of the primary objectives on that to-do list for that zone, right? So it's a puzzle game because there will be things that are just like you know, lock the gardener out of the garden. Well, it, it does not in any way show you how to do it. You never get hints. Nothing like, and some things won't happen until you've done two or three other things. And you just, you don't know. So you have to discover it. It's, kind it's of all... Little, no, kind of ahead. a little like, like a King's Quest or like an old school adventure game motif to it as well where you're right you just you have instructions but that's it yeah yeah yeah, that makes sense i I I didn't mean to cut you off i just no 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 it does have a lot of that element to it i think that's something else that's kind of coming back not necessarily those adventure style like point and click adventures but some of that mentality where less is more and like you can you can go to it's not even really wikiable but you can like look up how to do any of the things in goose game right Mm -hmm. but and some of them are hard some of them like so my wife and i are playing because this is one it's a it's also not a fast-paced game and everything like the all of the actors in the game reset that zone and it just in their idle animations so if you screw things up it just resets after so long because they'll go pick everything up or if you leave for long enough and come back it's just all kind of reset so it doesn't require you know fast paced you know even games like because we play like over or uh yeah overcooked which is uh you know super fun to play but it does require some there's a lot of timing and a lot of fast pace to get to know what you're doing well and it's also it's you know, those games are, are simultaneous co-op. Whereas this, right. you're doing old school, like I'll do a turn, you do a turn. Right. Yeah. We're sitting on the couch and it's just like, whoever's got the controller is the one making decisions, but the other person can be like, Oh, maybe try this, you right. know, or get it, get it, you know, just kind of hype man. Yeah. And, and, and that's, yeah, it's great time. And, you know, sometimes she does some things and I'm like, that's not going to work. And then, lo and behold, it works. And I'm like, what? Like, I would have never thought of that because I thought the answer was this other series of moves or whatever. Well, it's a it's a unique quality for, you know, for games to have that. I mean, it, you know, games used to be like that almost exclusively because there was no real co-op way back in the day. I shouldn't say none, but it was far more rare that you would get right. simultaneous co-ops. Like, if you're going to play Mario on NES, even if you play two-player, Mario and Luigi have separate, you know, lives and everything you know what i mean run on the screen together um but you know and and the thing is is that you could do it with any single player game obviously but a game like this it sounds like it translates a lot better to you whereas you know i'll go back to borderlands because we just have been playing that so much like if we were to sit down in the same room and like you played borderlands for a quest or something and then switch it 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 wouldn't be fun that way you know there's also just not a there there's not a lot of places where you there's there's very little skill difference 
between yeah. us. Where like you can sneak a little better or you can be a little bit quicker on picking up an item or something. Sure. But really that doesn't there's it's not noticeable. So it's not like Games hey, this boss for me. Right. Yeah. So wow. it, it's definitely a lot more like we're both very equal in it. And that's just rare in any, like, especially the, the, the wife and I have a, a lot of differences where even with like board games, it's, it's very clear that like word games, like Scrabble and stuff, she's just always beats me. But then like trivia games, I always, you know, and so there's, it's hard for us to find something where we're both equally skilled. And yeah. this definitely has been that. And it's been a great fun a good fun time and it's because it's leaned like laid back it's not super intense it's just as fun to play for 15 or 20 minutes as it is for an hour and whenever whenever we're done we're done and it's not you know we don't feel like we're missing out on anything or like it's it's also a lot longer game than it looks you it can be speed run in in a fairly decent amount of time especially if you know certain tricks or, or certain right. ways to get out but like just casually playing it it's a much bigger game than it looks it looks like it's going to be like oh, i'm going to be done with this in an hour or two and right. it keeps going and keeps going and you're like okay when does this stop <laughs> like yeah. yeah when i think of i mean and it's not it, when i think of like non-violent funny game honestly the very first game that comes to my mind is Portal and Portal 2. Now, those do have some pretty dark themes. Yeah, <laughs> and dark they're still stuff, funny, though. But they're really funny, and the gameplay itself is not violent. You know what I mean? It's about right. running through portals. And it's basically a puzzle game. Um, but it sounds like, you know, this doesn't have a GLaDOS script. Well, yeah, the thing is, is, is like, I wouldn't call Portal emergently funny. Yeah, like without if you funny. if you mute the game, it's not funny. I I will say actually, I played Portal Two co-op. <laughs> that's different. <laughs> <laughs> but that's and that's chaos funny though. Like, and I was thinking about this the other day. I don't know that it really directly translate, but it was something that I was kind of thinking about, like trying to challenge people: is how do you make a couch co-op game fun or funny or interesting when you can't throw your opponent off a cliff? Like so, yeah. so much of the amusing fun in a lot of couch co-op games, from Mario to Level Hut to Portal, is usually the like, "How can I screw over my friend?" type stuff. Yeah, I guess it, that's kind of what I was doing. Like in Portal Two, <laughs> I I would just constantly like find a right angle corner and then just put the portal on either side of that, and then just like run in an infinite circle super fast <laughs> and not contribute to solving the puzzle in any way. <laughs> Which isn't, I mean, I'm not killing them, but I'm certainly, I'm, you know, kind of hosing right. them. I'm not, I'm not actually contributing, but I think it's very funny. Um, or like if you put portals on like the ceiling and the floor and then you can just fall infinitely. Right. That's always, that's, I mean, that's and, and there's. Uh, You're right. It's chaos. It's, it's as, as far as yet. watching it, I love watching like co-op games of portal where one person's mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm helping you. I'm helping you. I'm helping you squish. And like. <laughs> It's just gold. It's always and like the other person knows. They're like, "No, you're gonna kill me. I know you're gonna kill me." Like, no, trust me, trust me, dead. And it's like, why did you trust me? Another buddy. We constantly will, like, someone will say something that the other one thinks is, you know, in a joking way, cringy, and uh, and so then we'll like 
grab whatever the nearest object is and pantomime killing ourselves with it to like escape the horribleness of the conversation. <laughs> and in Portal, that that definitely got to happen where I threw myself under an elevator and it just killed <laughs> me entirely. And I was like, I actually died this time. Look at that. Look yeah. at that. That's, That's how bad it is. <laughs> ultimate, right? <laughs> but yeah, it's like it's like the like Goose Game is like and granted the humor is not like top tier amazing the most incredible stuff ever you're, you're a horrible goose in a town like that's a lot of like pulling a chair out from underneath an old guy when he's trying to sit down and he yeah. and he falls and but the other thing is like they take like this little hint from i, I think pro I, there's probably a lot of other games that have done it but i think the best example is doom 2016 where the music is contextual so the the music, I think it's actually all just one piece of old, older sheet music. I think it's min, Minstrels, Ministrel. I don't remember it exactly, but it's all one song, but it's a very chaotic song. And it has slow parts and fast parts and, and in between. But everything that you do is basically these light piano notes. So if you're sneaking, it's this gentle piano. And if somebody catches you, it's this fast-paced piano. But it all kind of flows together in this, and it's a chaotic piece. It's not very, it doesn't have like a strong melody, but it's it's just this kind of contextual music that the music adapts to whatever you're doing at the moment. And I, I like that a lot. And I think it just, it helps underscore the gameplay in a way that, not it's difficult to do with a lot of other games outside of you know metal music while you're killing demons right <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah i don't know i think you're right i think that that you know comedy coming comedy in games is rare anyway i mean like we've talked about on previous episodes you know you have games like portal or borderlands where there's funny stuff or like overcooked is kind of a cutesy funny game just right. in its premise you know let alone what you actually do when you're playing but but it's it, it's rare to begin with that you find good comedy in games, and it's even more rare that you would find it like you were saying from from the gameplay. So I think that's a I think that's a very interesting uh, kind of point about it is that it that it produces that comedy through through just the gameplay, not through you know offensive crass jokes or something that <laughs> that you would find in you know. Right, or, or just the because I mean, even so, like Overcooked has like that cute premise and stuff, but it's also like a lot of the hilariousness. Some of it is from the level design. I, I'll give it that. Like there is yeah. a lot of the like, especially when you when you're playing it for the first time and you don't know that the level splits in half or mm -hmm. is two trucks driving past each other. Like, right, that's you're like, oh my god, we have to do that. How are we going to do this? And it's it's funny trying. And there's some puzzle elements there, but. You know, a lot of the the really good stuff comes from just the chaos, and the, the I think the level design helps generate the chaos, and I, and I think a lot of games like like Surgeon Simulator or any of the kind of simulate Goat Simulator is really a stage to set up chaos, and that's where yeah. a lot of the humor in those style of games are. Yeah, Surgeon Simulator, I I played that and uh, like 2016 at least or whatever. I don't know how many there were ever total, but. I, I don't know, like, I I kind of thought it was funny, but I also kind of thought that it was, um, I don't know, kind of just like, kind of just like insulting to, to me as the gamer, because it's yeah. just like, it's a huge commitment of time if you actually want to play it, and if you're not actually going to spend all of the time to actually like try and get through it, 
then it's only actually funny for about five minutes, and then it's like, okay, it's I kind get of it. a clop thing where it's yes, you know, like, yes, that's a very perfect example. And there. which there is some, and there's some f- funny. I guess like for that, a lot of that, some of that feels more like it's good as a Twitch game, where if you have a bunch of other people laughing and, <laughs> and enjoying it too, that kind of spurs you on, and you can find ways to to make fun of it uh, or kind of the irony of the situation, right. But yeah, I wasn't really. I didn't really dig on on the. I don't really like co-op style games, and I didn't think that. I don't know. It just felt a little off-putting. I guess it wasn't. It wasn't. It was like you know, cutesy gore, and I don't know. I just really. Didn't yeah. It. I mean, it's supposed to be funny, but I guess that's kind of what maybe what I'm trying to say is that like, it's also actually just punishingly hard. Yeah. And so you actually just have to spend a lot of time practicing it if you really want to get past the very first thing that you're tasked with right. doing. Right. And it, so. I mean, there's there's some similarities, which I think, like, a thing, a way of that that's done better in, in a similar style, which I, I know that you've not played a lot of VR games, but there's, like, like Job Simulator. I don't know if you've seen any gameplay of that, where it's, like, it's essentially a bunch of robots trying to recreate human jobs. And so you're thrown into this, it looks like a normal job zone, but the robots make a bunch of mostly puns on generic right. job humor but again it's just like complete task to receive punchline right and it's you know a lot of that can can be portrayed in a lot of the different humor in a lot of games is complete ta- and i guess you could even say arguably that that goose game is the same you have to turn the water on to make the guy wet and he falls over and ah ha ha and you untie the kid's shoes and and steal yeah, his glasses and you can make him fall in a puddle like- or whatever like with the stealth elements of it too, and like the sneaking, like that's all also kind of adds to the absurdity of it all. It is, and it's funny because like nobody can make you completely go away. They right. can kind of shoo you. They'll like take things from you and shoo you off, but everybody's just slightly annoyed with you. And a lot of the humor comes with characters interacting with each other, or as mm-hmm. a result of things that you do. Like so, some things in the world, not that they're permanent changes, but they're more permanent. So like you can get one character to accidentally break something of somebody else's by taking it over to them. And they're like, Oh, I don't want this. And they throw it and then it it shatters. And then those two characters get into an argument and it's like, they're arguing with each other. I mean, they are, but you're the reason, like you're the catalyst. And so you're this, you really are. uh, That's most of what it is. You're this walking catalyst. And it's so weird that it, functions like a stealth game because there's a lot of characters that will like they'll watch you if you get close to them and they'll just sit there and watch you so if you try to take anything they'll just take it back from you and shoo you away so you've got to like sneak around or find ways to distract them it's it, it's a lot like hitman except instead of hiding bodies you're hiding people's belongings right <laughs> like well i will say the premise for it is very valid because uh at a place i used to work there are just geese that nest there annually mm-hmm. and they're protected. Like you can't, you right. can't. And, and, and honestly, like fighting a goose is always a losing prospect because <laughs> if you, if you win and you beat the goose up, like you just beat up a goose dude. So <laughs> right. So what's the, you didn't and tickle if, a moose. Like, right. And if the goose beats you up, then that's <laughs> even more humiliating. So that's just, there's, it's a no-win situation. It's, it's like, like 10 pounds of Thanksgiving dinner, just one. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, 
I will now weave in sports ball again, as I always try and do. But <laughs> it's like in the NBA a long time ago, you know, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, two of the most famous players of all time. Well, Magic Johnson was like the ultimate team player and Michael Jordan was like the ultimate one-on-one player. And so for a while, they were trying to, to pressure them into playing a, like a televised one-on-one game together, which would have been great, I'm sure, for you know the fans and marketing and all that. But Michael Jordan, for the same reason, he was like, there's nothing for me to win if I do that. If I beat him, I was supposed to. And if I lose, now I'm not the best one-on-one player anymore. Right. So why would I participate, you know? Um, anyway, so again, that's similar to fighting. No, I I think it's, I think it's great. And it's just, it does so many things unexpectedly well. Like you, do you have three buttons? Like you're a goose, but you can't fly. So you can only walk on the ground and your three buttons are, are four buttons. I guess you can duck your head down so that you can like pick stuff up off the ground or get under like stair or like get under things that you need to crawl under it's your crawl button but it's just duck your head down because you're a goose with a giant neck that gets in the way of things and then the three other buttons are just grab thing with beak slash let go of thing with beak uh honk and flap your wings and so like those are the only three things that you can do and it's surprising how many different ways that you can take those three buttons and interact with the world and make things happen and you don't get dialogue options you don't have anything it's just honk and flap your wings and try to make try to make this giant laundry list of things happen when those are the only things you could do another uh kind of non-violent game that that i really enjoyed in the last few years that is massively popular is, is stardew valley but I guess really in that, that actually also does feature just a complete combat section. And there's like a combat skill tree and all sorts of stuff. Because um, I've been trying, since we talked about it, I've been trying to think of games. And I'm like, no, it's this has already been done. <laughs> but I actually don't, you know, I don't know. Because again, you could, you, you could cite Portal because it's a puzzle game that's funny. But GLaDOS is trying to kill you the entire time. Right. So it's not <laughs> it's not the same in that way. I think the closest, as far as, like, emergent humor, now technically there's still, it's not funny if you mute it. But, I mean, half of Goose Game, the hilarity is honking at things. Or honking with various things in your beak. Because that mm-hmm. changes, like, if you have a bottle or a, a megaphone or whatever, or a walkie-talkie, you can honk and the other one is where the noise, it's great. But... Um, so in a similar fashion, like not a mutable game for the funny, but I think has emergent humor. Um, even though it is really, really well planned, it still feels like they, they, they plan it so well that it feels like it isn't planned is Stanley Parable. Yeah. I was, yeah, that, that was another one that we'd talked about. Um, but Stanley Parable, like, I guess I don't really remember it all that well. But I, I don't really feel like the gameplay is that engaging. Like, aren't you just kind of walking through rooms and clicking on stuff, like pressing buttons or something? For the most part, I mean, there's there's little interaction. Most of the humor in that is is attempting to, at, at least as a gamer, it triggered my gamer instincts of like, and maybe my quality analyst instincts of, I'm going to find the thing they didn't plan for. Like, I'm going to do the thing that they don't think I'm going to do. And I try to think of the craziest thing possible and there's still something there for it and it's like no they i how did they know how did they know i would try this like (laughs) meanwhile triple a titles come out and 
freeze on the loading screen if you have an AMD video card or something. It's like, right. how did they not know? <laughs> <laughs> I opened, they opened the inventory screen. Don't they know it's going to crash if they do that? Like, how did right. that get through quality testing? Did nobody <laughs> open the inventory? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, another game that kind of came to mind in, in thinking about it, again, just trying to think of like kind of oddball indie titles that are funny, is uh, is the Guacamelee games. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, again, they're they're very different games. They're Metroidvania right. games that are heavy on combat. But there's a lot of really ridiculous parts to those games Yeah, and well. it subverts the genre. And it, it stays true to the genre because you're, like, unlocking an uppercut that gets you to a, the higher area. The or jump, right. right. But it's also, like, it's the, the flaming rooster mega uppercut or whatever like it, it they subvert a lot of the humor of it's ridiculous that a metroidvania is the way it is and they kind of make fun of that so there's some meta humor in there too and mm-hmm. I, I i would agree that I, I mean it's not to say that nobody's ever done a, a funny video game no 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 and i'm, I'm not no i'm i'm past trying to, to oh yeah say no <laughs> as much as just trying to think of other things that that it reminds me of just in hearing you describe it um, again, even though it's a, a very different kind of game. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that the, I, something else that you, you kind of mentioned that I like a lot is that I like a lot in, in a variety of games that are out now is the way that, that games are taking a genre and then plugging it into something else entirely. Right. So like, like for example, one finger death punch is actually really close to guitar hero (laughs) but it doesn't look like guitar hero in any way and it plays like a street fighter but it's actually or like i think we talked about before right it looks like a street fighter plays like a guitar hero which is kind of like jump kick i think we had discussed a little bit or dive kick yeah 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 um but i just so I, i i like it when you have a game like untitled goose game that is this totally oddball thing that's then that that presents itself as this, like, have we ever seen anything like this? But in the end, it's actually, yeah, it's a stealth game. It's a puzzle game. You know what I mean? It's, it's not, so it's not hard to understand it actually. Like right. once you start but playing if you it, advertise it as like a stealth puzzle game, <laughs> right. it wouldn't go well. And, th- and that's <laughs> why they have to, like, I think that it was really genius of them for their tagline to be, uh, you're in a quiet, or it's a quiet day in the t- in a small village, and you're a horrible goose. Like right. that is a much better description of the game than like the next new puzzle stealth platformer. Like that would you not know, have sold. That I didn't finish my my work geese story earlier, and I just oh, said oh the yeah there, and then said you can't fight them, which makes it sound like <laughs> one of the geese on and then site. Off into sports ball, right? Um, <laughs> But no, but those geese, so they, since they come there every year, they, that's where they lay their eggs and stuff. So they're super hyper protective of their nests, which leads them to attack people <laughs> going in and out of the building. One of our close friends actually was attacked and got like bit, I guess is the right word. And they don't have Hissed teeth. At. <laughs> it, it they have toothy tongues. Like... It like hit him on the hand and he had oh, like wow. a mark on his hand actually. And you just can't do anything. So it's, it is just like Goose Game because. Just as many, much as these people hate you, all they can really do is kind of shoo you away right. and wish, which is all he could do when he was actually assaulted. Meanwhile, by you just break their stuff and take things like you can <laughs> you can steal a kid's like if you honk. There's only one person that's actually like afraid of you that I've met, and it's this little kid. And if you honk at him enough, he'll run around. Well, if you like 
he'll also just stand there and play this, this little toy airplane if you like leave him alone. And he's got glasses on, so he can't he's he can't see very well. So he won't turn around and notice you very often. So if he's playing with his little toy airplane, you can just go up underneath him and untie both of his shoes and then honk at him a whole bunch, which scares him, and he runs around in circles and then falls down. And if he falls down, his glasses fall off his face. So you can then proceed to take his glasses away from him, and he just kind of, like, stumbles around. And if you get close enough to him, he'll kind of follow you. We could just take his glasses and, like, bring him to this little open mart area that where there's, this like, this a little market. And you can put the glasses, like, on a glasses stand, and he'll go try to get his glasses, and, and the shopkeep will, like, yell at him and make him buy them back. And it's, like, it's just... It's just it's so rare that you can be horrible in a game without feeling horrible, I guess. Like, there's a lot of games where, like, you can make a morally questionable choice. I mean, you, you, like a Bioshock or something, right? Where you're all out. Right. You're faced with some big moral conundrum. But usually, you only pick the bad thing if either you're trying to play an evil, like, evil run through. Or you want to see what funny thing is said when you pick the horrible option, right? But you still, like, there's also plenty of games where, like, you accidentally pick the horrible option, or you pick what you think is going to be a good option, and they say something, you know, that's mean, and you're like, no, I didn't want my character to say that. Like, you have this emotional attachment. And with this, you, you're not emotionally attached to the goose. It's just fun. And, like, the it's lighthearted jerkdom i i don't know like like they're mean things but they're not evil things right you're not taking away one's health care or anything right <laughs> <laughs> everybody nobody dies everybody resets the world keeps going and like you can break a lady's broom but she'll either just put it back together or just go on without it and is there a premise for why you have these checklists or does it no just so that's one of the other things is like you're not the checklist is just the menu screen, but it never explains, like, you don't have hands that you're... Like, you'll cross them off, but you don't see the goose pull out a pen and a piece of paper and cross them off. It's just it's just a thing that's there, and it seems natural. I don't know why it fits so well, but it's like cursive handwriting on a notepad, and it's just... it's If I was a goose, if I was a horrible goose, I would have a horrible goose checklist, and that would be the things that I wanted to get done that day. And yeah, I think the games not explaining themselves works works well. I mean, like look at a game like Terraria. Like, I mean, maybe there is now, but as far as I know, there's never an explanation as to why you've been dropped in this world and why there's a guide that has recipes for ten thousand items or right. anything like. That. And it actually, to me, it kind of works against something like Starbound, where they did eventually put a story in there, and it's a good story, but it almost works against the gameplay. So you feel less about like exploring these planets and building bases and more about just getting to the next piece of the story. Right, right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. So Yeah, I I don't know. I I was just gonna say I uh I really enjoy the indie titles that, that like I said, that, that either, you know, have kind of a an already existing genre wrapped in the shroud. And I also, I also just really appreciate, like, I love that we've come this far with games. I mean, the first indie game that I remember being really blown away by was probably Braid, which probably the rest of the world, too. Um, but you just don't, I don't know, like, 
before that, it was so rare to see anything like that. And I, I mean, I thought that we were just past NES, Super NES, Sega kind of graphics quality games and that sort of stuff. And I love that we've <laughs> that we've come full circle to where those games are being produced at a at a high level now. And you just get so many different unique ideas. I mean, Untitled Goose Game probably doesn't sell in the '90s, right? Because the market's not big enough to support it, right? Um, but it's awesome that it does. Well, and it's also that. like kind of to your point of like just old games in a new style kind of thing, or new styles or old styles done new. It's like it's one thing to have like a pixelated, you know, SNES style graphics, which sure, you know, great and whatever. But there's also this kind of it, interesting thing that happens when you have like simple pixelated sprites but a fully rendered uh lighting engine right so like you do complete ray tracing and full featured lighting with simplistic graphics so it looks like it's this retro style graphics thing but at the same point in time you can you get this like deep depth that you couldn't get with you know an snes or a playstation one so it could look like snes style graphics but have fully featured particle physics and and things like that like or just physics engines which is adds this element that's like it it brings this retro but it also brings in like some of the new style i don't know like technology i guess right right yeah also frame rates it also can have appropriate frame rates. <laughs> right that was something I think I talked about in another episode, but when I went back to Diablo 2, Diablo 2 is just locked at 25 frames per second. And so if you get, like, attack speed increases, your character just skips more frames. Yeah, all it just, and it can break. you can actually get so good that you become bad again. Because right. you're attacking so fast that it's skipping frames and you're just missing. You're actually right. attacking two-thirds <laughs> slower now that you reached 160% or whatever. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, I, so yeah, I saw Untitled Goose Game on the Epic Store. Is that the only place yeah, that you're aware um, of? I think it's I think it's Epic exclusive for the the first year or whatever, six months, something like that. Um, however right. long their exclusivity deal is, I you know, but like you said, Borderlands Three. We were kind of talking about this earlier. Borderlands Three has broken my, uh, you know, anti Epic Store card. I guess has been turned in, and now that I've you know. I've popped the seal off of it. I just have it now. So it's like, I'm not going to go. It it still bothers me. There's things about the Epic store that bother me, but I, it's there now. So I might as well use it. And, and goose game is fun. And now, now (laughs) granted I have installed goose game and then gone into steam and added a a non steam game so that I could use my steam link to transfer (laughs) from my gaming PC to our living room to be able to play on the big TV and sit down with, you know, a cup of hot cocoa and some popcorn and play goose game on the big screen. So I'm still, I'm not, I don't care. Like the Epic part can go away. I'm still loading it into steam because there's just better features there, but. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I wonder how much untitled goose game benefited actually from, because I think it came out close to when borderlands three did because that's how I saw it because I mean, I wouldn't have been in the Epic launcher if it wasn't for borderlands three. And so logging into Borderlands 3 daily, you see that store that store page yet. So I, I wonder if part of the momentum that it's got, and not that it's not warranted or not that it doesn't deserve it, 
but I wonder if it also kind of rode that wave a bit. I mean, Fortnite's sure it there, so it's not like it's the only game. But... Yeah, but there's a lot few. It's just hard to get noticed on Steam right now. Like, there's yeah. so much coming out on Steam, and a lot of it's good. It's and it's, but it's not curated, and not that the Epic Store is you know supremely. It's probably over curated because there's just only a few titles. But I think that it probably did profit from that. I think they did do. They did really well with their marketing and PR, where they were very selective. Like, they did not put out, I mean, they did put out, like, trailers and stuff. But most of the stuff that I saw on Goose Game before it hit was just enough that it, like, you didn't know what was going on. They only showed little snippets, and I think that they just really landed a premise, like, if you were, if it was like Pikmin style, where you're actually a tiny astronaut or something, it probably wouldn't have intrigued me. But like, it it kind of flies in the face of, like, Goat Simulator is not an effective. You're not actually simulating a real goat. No, it's, it's all cheesy. It's, right, it's ridiculous, turned up to twelve, which is fine. And that's there is some there's some funny moments to be had in Goat Simulator, but. Goose Game is a lot closer to, like, if you took a human brain and put it in a goose, what could you do? Like, right. and it, and it, with the same limitations that the goose has, in fact, more, because you can't fly. So, right. so, like, but if you were a real goose in a real world, what could you do? And And I think that's just... But it also expands on that by just allowing you, kind of, kind of like in Stanley Parable, where you don't think that they plan for that. A lot of the things that you have to do seem like things that they couldn't have planned for. Like, and a lot of the things that you're supposed to do, you kind very rarely did we find ourselves going, aha, we know the answer. Right. Mm. It was like, sometimes there are some that like, you just get stuck. So you start doing random things and you find an animation that somebody takes when you give them a certain item. And you're like, Oh, if we give them this other item and they do that animation with it, we win. Right. And some of the other things we actually were doing the right thing. We just didn't put enough space between another character and ourselves for it to give us the option to do it properly. So we're like, Oh, if we do this, that's how we check this thing off. And it's like, it wouldn't happen. And until we got that person far enough away then we're like oh but more often than not it was just like how do we make this person you know fall over or whatever there's nothing that we can do nothing that we're able to do is able to check this thing off until you just kind of stumble into it and it feels like that stanley parable moment where like i'm gonna try to do something that they didn't plan for and somehow it still works and i i think that's a really I think that's a really unique kind of thing. I think it's a difficult thing to do as, I mean, in a lot of games, I mean, for example, like a fallout or something like breaking quest lines is sometimes a goal and sometimes accidental, you know, where you trip a quest marker for some other thing and, and a whole series of quests becomes unplayable accidentally. And, and NPCs will interact with you as if they are or something else, you know, you can get stuck. And sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's not. But the number of directions that you can go in a quest tree in something like a Fallout, like if you were to mind map all of Fallout's quests and all of the various options and how they affect each other, it's a giant map of decisions that you can make. 
so there's there's a lot of planning that goes into something like that. It's just interesting to see that played out differently. And I, I like it. I like seeing that depth. And it's a lot of work to code for every possible scenario that a player can take. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I think that's something that is uh, is a high value in games. Again, totally different genre. Um, but there's this MMO called Project Gorgon. And it's kind of, I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, it came out, I don't know, it's in early access. I don't know how long it's been, a couple of years maybe now. Right. But it, it's, it's kind of designed to be like an old school MMO, like 2004 or earlier, pre-WoW. More <laughs> EverQuest kind of style. Some. Yeah. Yeah. In, in so much as that they don't give you any directions and like your map has no markers on it. Right. Um, instead, but but you can place markers on the map, so you can kind of make your own map, which is kind of cool. I love stuff. And you're like actually that. you're actually limited in the amount of things that you can put on your map, and there's actually a cartographer skill that you have to level See, up playing. That's awesome. To add more to the map. I love that. I also love it. It has the journal too, right? Where you can in-game notes. Any it place does. where you can take in-game notes, just mm, my heart. Well, and, and it's kind of required because there are like there like there's a quest where it's like you have to put in a code into a thing to unlock it, and you find the code somewhere else. But unlike in almost all other games where you could open up an, a pre-existing quest journal, if you will, that would just show you the code. Or a lot of games like your character just knows it now. Right. So you Once you have, you just it. go to the pad and hit enter code, and it enters it for you. Right, but in that in Project Gorgon, not the case. Like you actually have to, I mean, you could memorize it or write the code down in your journal. So when you get back to that place, you can actually enter it and unlock it, which I, I thought like was missed. really cool. Like, yeah, you know. Well, and that's why I said that's why I compared at the very beginning to almost those old school adventure games where you have a general idea of what you're trying to accomplish, but how you're going to accomplish it, you don't know. Now the difference is those games are pretty much there's one way to do right. everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like in Gorgon. In Project Gorgon, I should say the uh, the tutorial island that you start out on. There's like I don't know. I want to say at least three, maybe four ways to get off of the tutorial island and onto the mainland. And you know, again, the game doesn't tell you anything. So through doing quests and talking to NPCs, you can you you kind of unlock different ways. And me and another buddy played it. And I told him, I was like, you should just play through the tutorial island because I had already done it. I was like, you should just complete it yourself because if you enjoy it, then you'll probably like the rest of the game. Right. But if you think it's frustrating, then you probably shouldn't. And that's a free demo that you can do. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I played through the tutorial. I think it. I would be – I'm interested in going back to Project Gorgon once they get a little bit more developed on it. I'm, I'm really interested in it because I loved like, – like you said, the tutorial island was very – just kind of depending on who you talk to and what you fought and what you faced kind of developed your character and developed how you wanted to get off. Right. Well, and like, there's like, there's skills that, because in that game you can have any, any skills that you, all of the skills are available to your character and you can only have like two combat skills equipped at a time effectively, right. but you can swap those out kind of on the fly and you don't lose your progress when you swap one out for another. But yeah, like my buddy and I that, that played through the tutorial island, we actually got off the island in completely different ways. And I had no idea that the way that he did it was available, and he had no idea that the way I did it was available. <laughs> right. Which and is super cool. Yeah. Because like, it gives you that sense of like you're actually 
discovering stuff and exploring stuff. And it, it's not just a linear go to the next thing. I think it makes it more personal. And I, and I think that it makes it more shareable. Like, because having those different solutions is one of those things where, like, if, if I came to you at random, at, you know, water cooler talk, I was like, oh, man, uh, you know, I got to the next question, Borderlands. You know exactly what I did to do it. Like, mm-hmm. because you had to do the exact same thing. You're like, oh, and there can be fun things to talk about. There can be, we can talk about the humor that happens when you do those things or whatever, but it's still the same exact thing. Whereas in something like Project Gorgon or, you know, any, a lot of these other games, uh, you can find one way to do something. And when we are like, hey, how'd you get off the island? You're like, oh, I did this. And I'm like, really? I didn't know that that was possible. Right. A- and yep. having something like, there can be, and some games do it where you could be aware of every way to get off the island and you pick the way you want to go. But fewer games have those, like, I didn't know that was possible moments. Yeah. Well, so like in Gorgon, I wanted to get a skinning knife so I could, I could skin creatures and get leather and do leather working or whatever. Right. And, but I need a skinning knife. And so I ask in chat, because again, there's no labels on anything. You have no idea what NPCs exist where and what they may or may not sell. Right. So I asked in chat, hey, where can I find... I'm in this zone. Where can I find a skinning knife? And someone was like, this guy will give you... This NPC name will give you one um, if you complete his quest. Okay. Well, I had to first find, go out into the world and find him. And then, upon finding him, before I can do the quest, I have to level my reputation up. So I have to do... I've basically had to go find items that he wants and turn them in to get his favor up with me. Right. And then once his favor's up high enough, then he gave me the quest, then I went and did it, then I got the skinning knife. So it was like a two-hour process for me to get the skinning knife. Well, then, like, a few days later, we're playing, and we go to some other zone. That's another starter zone. Right. And there's just an NPC that sells a skinning knife for dirt cheap <laughs> just right away. And But it's like, but I love that. Like, I love that I didn't know, and right. I love the way I did it was this super ridiculous way, but hey, it still worked. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like it didn't insist that I only go to this one place. So, and I, I hope that more games pick up on that. I hope that because I even think that that's something that's been fading from AAA titles. Like Fallout Four has a lot less of that than Fallout Three did. And Fallout Three, while Fallout Three is an amazing game, and I actually love Three and New Vegas and Four, all for different reasons, but none of them compare to one or two where like the number of ways that you can play the game and even how characters interact with you just based on your initial like skill point, like how much points you put into charisma or speech or whatever, it changes the game fundamentally. And yeah, that's a lot more design that has to go into a game and a lot more planning that has to go into a game. But in my opinion, if you're, if, if, you know, you want to be a big game representative and you want to talk about how expensive your game is and why you need to sell $200 special gold mega versions with $15 a month subs and microtransactions tied to them because games are so expensive to make. I would rather see all of that money go into emergent gameplay and interesting decisions than the hair on the dog reacts to the wind. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, you know, it's a, you know, and I, we have an entire episode dedicated to Warcraft. <laughs> right. We talk about Warcraft a lot, so not to go too far into it, but but 
you know, old MMOs, and I, as I said in that episode and have said before, but old MMOs catered to an RPG crowd and new MMOs catered to what I call the Call of Duty crowd. Right. And it, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with, with either. Um, but really what WoW did that, that made it so popular for so long was it continually made it so that everyone kind of had the same opportunity to see everything. Right. Like in, in old WoW, you know, WoW Classic, which has just come out, if you want to raid, you've got to get into a guild, more than likely, and find a place to go to a 40-man raid, and, like, your guild actually has to kind of know what they're doing. In modern WoW, they have what they call Raid Finder, right. which is a stripped-down, easy mode of raiding that allows you to jump into a complete pickup group and i mean i it's just kind of hard to fail actually right which is cool because if you're not a raider it gives you an opportunity to see content right. and especially in that game the story is woven into the raids so if you want to see how it actually plays out and what these last boss fights look like or whatever you can but it completely eliminates what we're talking about the emergent gameplay stuff and the stuff where you know, I mean, like when, again, not to go back to Gorgon over and over, but when, when you're talking about Project Gorgon, you've always really wanted to play like a battle alchemist type class yeah. where you make and throw potions. Well, it turns out that Project Gorgon has that class. In order to get it, though, you have to level all sorts of different professions up and you have to have other other classes level do a but certain... But it also makes sense. Like, it, I was right. able to, like, once you, you just, all you said was... Battle Alchemist is an available thing, and skills level up as you use them or interact with the world, which is pretty yep. evident. The moment you get into the game, the first thing that you do, whatever it is, you get a level in it. You just instantly, like, if you look at a dead body, you get a level up in investigation and understanding right. skeletons or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so with just that bit of knowledge that Battle Alchemist was something I could do, I started going around and just harvesting every flower every herb every whatever and was starting to level up not just herbology but mycology for because i picked a mushroom right and then once i got like uh glass or i think i got clay or something and i was able to make a clay pot well once i had a clay pot and a mushroom and a certain level of mycology i learned that these mushrooms are poisonous and if you have a pot and these mushrooms you can make a potted poison and now it's right. now it's a thing that i can throw at monsters it's a single use item it you know it breaks it shatters and then it leaves a gas cloud and monsters get poisoned and it's like right. i'm already within half an hour getting skills that i want and attacks that i want and it's like yeah i keep a sword because a sword is while not infinite use it's definitely lasts a lot longer than my single use potions but now I have a reason to continue collecting things, and I'm going to want to talk to other herbalist NPCs to get recipes or books or whatever. And it's that sort of stuff where it's like it's not – it's a real fine line between gatekeeping content. Like you said, like a 40-man raid that has to be done very specifically, and you need four hours and yes. team speak or Discord and a competent group and – and all of this stuff are like Eve online is a huge example of that where a lot of, I mean, all of that content is really just, it's not raid content as much as like PVP type stuff, but it, it, Eve online is, we should, we'll have to do an it's episode. It's its own thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, and I don't mean that I don't want you to talk about it. I just mean like, it's, 
it's such a unique game and has the fact that it survived for, I mean, it's, I think it came out in like 2004, right. so it's been around forever and it's just, yeah, it, it's, it's super cool because it is truly a sandbox MMO in a way that not, not I don't know of any other game. Nobody else has succeeded. Yeah, I mean, there's like there's another game called Albion Online that's kind of like a it looks and plays like a MOBA, but it's an MMO, so it's not a MOBA, right? But that's how the controls work, kind of. And it also has that kind of sandbox element to it, but it's not nearly as popular as Eve Online, and you don't get. I mean, <laughs> Eve Online has some of the coolest spaceships. Oh yeah, and just but classes it, and ships. it's also a it's massive awesome. stone wall. Like the barrier to entry. It, yes, it is a straight climb of difficulty curve. There is no difficulty curve. It's just a difficulty wall. And you yeah. have to get over a ridiculous amount of content to start understanding that game. So like the, the gatekeeping of emergent gameplay that is fun for everyone whilst also not putting up a giant wall that's i mean that is a difficult ask i think that that's difficult for anybody like if you do it if it's too difficult then nobody it's unapproachable or it's a souls like or it's eve online uh but and for hardcore gamers only quote unquote or whatever but on the other end of the spectrum if it's too easy then it's okay well i'm level 50 day one and i already understand everything like it's it's just that yeah. it's a it's a strange in between, and I, I guess that kind of brings me to like another point, which is uh, something again. I, I think I sent this this guy to you. There was I think it's Resmusen on YouTube that I was watching who does some really interesting stuff, and he he did this deal where it's like gaming for a non gamer, and and he had his wife play a bunch of video games, and she's not a gamer, and he had her play all kinds of different video games, and a lot of people especially like people that have been playing games for a long time, just under like, there is a language to gaming, right? Like, and there are things that we just kind of inherently pick up on because all games speak the same language, like red is health and blue is magic or whatever. Right. And and those things don't have to be explained to you, but it can actually make a, a lot of games, even games that have quote unquote, good tutorials may not provide all of the information that a non-gamer, if this is their first video game that they've ever played, is Dark Souls or is, uh, (laughs) you know, A Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons or, you know, any game, any game as your first game, you have, no game does a good job of explaining all of the language of video games because that's just a lot. It's like learning a language. It's like learning Korean right out the gate. Except Mario for NES. That one does a really good job. of. <laughs> it does a pretty good job. But there's mm. even there's even things like... I'll have to... I, I guess I haven't shared that one. I'll have to share this video to you. And I may include it so we can have it in the, the podcast notes as well. But he even explained how like she jumped on the question block and the mushroom popped out. And then she jumped on another block and it, and it went left and it went off the screen. Well, she missed the fact that it started going right to begin with because she didn't realize that her second jump made it go left. And every time she had a question mark after that, she would go left to try to get it. And then she would miss them because they'd go off the screen to the right. So then she thought it was random. Uh. And it was like, and it's, so it's something that the game did try to teach her, but just by her own accidental, because you don't realize that the game is about to teach you something. You just are doing things. Right. And so sometimes you may not realize that your own action caused something to go wrong. Right. And so it, 
it's just really interesting, you know, how games teach you things. And I think that it's it's probably like you, you kind of snickered when I said if your first game was Dark Souls, yeah. there's a reason because because we as gamers know that that is a brutal game. That's like if your first platformer is Celeste or Super Meat Boy, like they're just brutal games, and you have right. to you have to already know what you're getting into, and and you wouldn't say that like. I hate all platformers. If your first game was Super Meat Boy, you might say that. Like, I hate all platformers. Platformers are terrible. And you've never get to see a Braid or a Mario or whatever. But it's mm-hmm. like, I think that there is a lack of good games to be somebody's first game. And I think that Goose Game is a great play. Like, I could see people jumping into Goose Game and being like, oh, I like stealth games, but I want a stealth game with a little more action. Like, if somebody came up to me and was like, I want a goose game, but I want it to be more suspense, more action, more things to do. Be like, okay, now we get we can get into Metal Gear, we can get into Hitman, we can get into... Say what? Mark of the Ninja, oh, the clay game. Yeah, Mark of the Ninja would be great. Um, yep. Or, you know, if you want it to be uh, maybe more platform-like, what's the... Um, Oh god dang it. There's a It's not Dark Souls, but it's the platformer that's hmm. Oh god dang it. There was a big controversy about uh the guy that stole all of the review content. It's probably Wow. Yeah, that's not Like a Hollow Knight? No, it's not Hollow Knight and it even sounds kind of like Dark Souls. Salt and Sanctuary? No. <laughs> and we Google and we Google, folks. That's what we do here on Pick Up Your Sticks. <laughs> <laughs> Live Googling. Where do you get that, you know? In your own home, that's where. Um, oh, um, I do know what you're talking about. I, I own it. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> you own everything. Why I wouldn't know, you I... own it? <laughs> Dead Cells. Dead Cells. That's it. So, yes, Dead Cells would be like a the while granted it's not as you know sneaky but there there's a lot of puzzle elements so like i want puzzle elements but i don't want all of this 3d sneaking stuff like i think that there's just again i think that there's a too many quote-unquote like introductory games are too handholdy or too childlike you know like not to say that Nintendo should be everybody's introduction, but a lot of Nintendo games are very handholdy, very simple mechanics, and they can expand upon those mechanics in really interesting ways that I think kids to adults can enjoy. But I think that in other you know, genres or other systems or other platforms are lacking in good games for introductory gameplay. And I think that the indie space is starting to, to realize that they can fill that void. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I mean, that's a, a great point that you bring up talking about how, you know, like, because I remember when you first found it, you you were excited to play it with your wife, who's not a big gamer. I mean, like you said, you played Overcooked. But you were like, I think this will be really good for her. Right. And that, that's a good point that you bring up about the introductory games. I had the pleasure of uh, <laughs> bringing a friend along. He had never played an RPG. And he said, okay, I, I want to play an RPG. What should we play? And so this was probably like 2007, eight somewhere in there. And uh, and so I told him to try out Titan Quest, which is like a Diablo okay, yeah, clone yeah. style game. And so we did. And yeah, like it was just so crazy to me who's played games, you know, since I was uh, since I can remember. Um, like he didn't know 
He didn't understand what health was, like hit points. He didn't understand what mana was. He didn't understand what levels yeah, were. Like how to level understand. up. Like he's actually got like 10 skill points waiting and doesn't realize. Right, and doesn't understand how to identify the synergies within the skill trees, you know. Kind of min-max. Yeah, well, and I, I mean, certainly that. and But even just fundamental, like, I don't know, like you're a warrior, so you get this ability that, and this is just straight from WoW, but like you get an ability that allows you to like charge and stun and then you get an ability that does like a, a bleed that's like a dot. Well, I see that and know like, oh, cool, I'm going to open with the charge stun and then follow up with the dot and then follow up with whatever comes after that. Or a skill that allows you to build stacks in something and another skill that uses those stacks. Right. But he, you know, he doesn't, didn't see that and didn't recognize that because he wasn't familiar. And then after we played Titan Souls for a little bit, he was like, okay, I think I'm ready for World of Warcraft. <laughs> so we did that. And yeah, same same deal there. It was just it was crazy to see uh, someone who was brand new to that, and it, it was actually very difficult <laughs> to teach him all of the stuff because there's just so many things that can come up that it's like, sorry, I didn't. I well, didn't and even if they were like, no. okay, well now I don't like RPGs. It's like, but you may like a Diablo three that is less you have no stat points to assign and the skills right. synergize a little bit more easily. There's kind of a primary attack skills, backup skills, movement skills, and they're kind of easily mm -hmm. labeled or a completely different vein, like a, a JRPG, like a turn-based or something. And even yeah. that is different from turn-based tactical RPGs like XCOM or, you know, there's just so many I ways that that can go. And, that's like somebody, you know, swearing off an entire. We talked about this today. Somebody swearing off uh, electronic music because dubstep was the first thing that they heard, and so they think all techno is dubstep or whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, actually, I just had an experience with a friend this morning where they texted me a um, this country artist. I don't really listen to country music, and and they suggested a few songs. They were like, "I don't think you'll like it, but whatever, you can check it out." And the truth is, is that I actually can listen. And, and when I say country, I, I don't like I, when I say slow or, or, you know, down tempo, I can't really do like a uh, now I even, can't even think of their name. But like George Jones, okay. I think maybe yeah. is old school, like really old school country. I don't really dig, but like more somber, uh, kind of, again, laid back, kind of low key. Usually they're, again, kind of sad, somber kind of songs like. Like Garth Brooks' "The Dance," I don't know if you know that song, but like, I like you know I don't sit and listen to it on a regular basis. I don't think I have it on a playlist. But if that call song came on, like, I don't hate that. Yeah. But if you play, I, I don't know, I don't know if they call it bro country. I think I heard recently. Uh, I don't know. But just, yeah, there's country that like is a blend of basically like pop rock and country or music, like pop rap and country music. There's some weird yeah, like, styles coming out. Right. Like, I can't stand that. Like, I can't I can't tolerate it. But it's not fair to say that I hate all country music because there are actually, a f you know, a few that I've come across where, again, maybe I'm not booting it up every morning, but I find it listenable. Well, it's like every now and again, I get an itch for C.W. McCall, which is like it's not I guess it's I, some might label it country. It's trucker music, I guess. <laughs> you know, most I mean, like, you know, the the. Uh, what is it the the rubber duck is you know convoy the kind of the most classic song from him but it you know every now and again it's like i i want to hear a song about hippies being called crispy critters 
and like right. it's just funny i love it sometimes it's not my go-to but there's some yeah i i'll i'm all over the the map with music and i i think that it's good that video games are getting into these niche styles just like music did that much earlier because there's just a lot more music and a lot more people making it it's more approachable but i think with the onset of game engines you don't have to learn c-sharp programming from memory allocation all the way through differential equations to make a video game and before you can even put a pixel on a screen now there's game maker there's unity there's a lot of engines that are opening up that like you may not make the best video game with just unity's core stuff but you can get started and you can make something good and the more you learn about it the more you'll start learning how to make custom scripts and how these elements work and i think that it's just so much more approachable that teams of one two and three people can make games that are really good there are some great like gunpoint we've talked about there are games that are made by ultra small studios or single person studios like the creeper world games and i think that that is allowing for a lot of these niche genres to emerge and people to experiment in a lot more ways in the same way that quote unquote indie music has meant a lot of different things over the years but pop music was the major record labels and a lot of it all sounded the same in the same way that i think triple a video games are the pop video games they're safe they're not going to experiment very much they're going to be very familiar things and they're all going to look and sound alike and and now that these indie genres are opening up and did, there wasn't there maybe there was an indie apocalypse but what was born as a result of the indie apocalypse is a lot of i guess mutated genres of games and i think that that's great so maybe the yeah. apocalypse was good we needed to mutate some and and evolved in a bunch of different avenues yeah i mean i feel like i have i feel like again since i really started playing indie games you know again braid probably being the first one i remember but i i really i don't think there's been a year that's gone by where i haven't played at least one indie game that i really enjoyed and probably way more than that but um, yeah, I, I agree entirely. I think an indie game has made it into my top 10 every year. There's been something. I mean, and games that start as indies that become big games like Kerbal. You know, Kerbal Space Program started really small with a pretty, not the smallest studio, but it was not a, it did not go into early access and make a splash. Like when Kerbal first came out, it was pretty under the radar, but it gained popularity and it gained momentum and, and eventually became big. Well, you know, we, we've got the episode that we had previously about um, Shenanicon, which is the Butterscotch Shenanigans conference that we went to. And that was something that I find, you know, frankly, kind of inspiring from those guys is that they have Crashlands and, and Levelhead, which are the, the two most, you know, flagship franchises, if you want to call it that. And those are all made in Game Maker. Right. You know, now I'm sure that they do some additional programming or whatever, yeah. but ultimately it's made in Game Maker. And it's just, and those are. I mean, like we've talked about with Levelhead, I mean, it competes with and in many ways just surpasses Mario Maker, yep. which is Nintendo. Right. <laughs> which and, that's, and I'm sure that's a very custom that. engine with a very specific. I mean, yeah. the physics, that's something we said is like the physics of Mario games. Like there's got to be a Bible somewhere of equations for Mario's jump and gravity yeah. and acceleration and stuff. And that's those are hard things to like. I, people think that platformers are easy to make 
until you try to make a good platformer. <laughs> yeah. There's a difference. There's 10 lines of code can make a platformer and the other 60,000 lines are making it feel good. Right, right. Yeah, I think, um, I, I think again, I think Untitled Goose Game, to, to kind of bring it back to that, you know, obviously doesn't have the complexity that, you know, the MMOs that we were talking about do or some of these other games, but it's cool that it's got an, uh, a really kind of unique sounding. I mean, I know you said it, you're seeing it kind of pop up in other places too, but a pretty unique art style yeah. um, and kind of a pretty unique gameplay style, even though ultimately when you boil it down, you can be like, well, that's just, it's actually these genres, but it, it does it well enough that it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like you're playing a bad metal gear. Yeah, it does. It, and it <laughs> does like failure states. There's, there's no game over screen. Like mm-hmm. instead of a game over screen, you get somebody taking your toy away from you and you, you have to get it back from them or find a way to trick them into dropping it so you can get something else. Like that's your quote unquote game over is just, you don't have the thing that you were just playing with. Like you don't get a honk in the harmonica anymore because they're take it away from you. But you get it right. back 10 seconds later, you know, and or maybe there's a long chain of things that you had to do to get it. And so it can be difficult, but kind of in that Stardew Valley way of no failure state, but without. It's just I don't know, it's there's nothing to max either, right. It, and so there's not you're not building a skill tree to to get to that point either. And so but without also feeling like it's too forgiving. Like, the game has some punishing quests. There are some quests that are difficult to accomplish and can make you frustrated because you had, had to go so far or get something that was really difficult. So I think that it's interesting that it presents difficulty in an approachable way where you're not selecting a difficulty counter of easy, medium, hard. You're just picking the quests that you think you can do right now. And right. I don't know. I think all in all, you know, Untitled Goose Game is really good for gaming in general i think it's going to bring a lot of people into gaming that that may not have been interested in it before because their game wasn't out there i think goose game can be a lot of people's their game i think it can be just as fun to play by yourself as it is to to play with another person or even if you have beaten it i think it's one of those games that's fun to watch somebody else discover like I, I could play through the entire game and bring this to somebody that's never played it before and just have that oh man, I can't wait for you to figure this out. Like right. I can't wait for you to, to have those moments of discovery because I want to watch you have them. And right. I think that that's something that's great to have in a video game. I think it's great to have, you know, it just in general is, is something that's allows you to, to vent some aggression without being, overly aggressive you know right. and and instead of the you know i had a bad day at work so i'm gonna go click on people's heads and overwatch it's you know i had a bad day at work so i'm gonna go steal somebody's harmonica like <laughs> right. right yeah no yeah no i think i think i think well said uh i you know we don't really do reviews but uh, I would say all in all, I mean, we're saying, it's again, it's a pretty game. It's an enjoyable game. It's an accessible game. Uh, and it's relatively cheap, right? I don't yeah, know I think it's cost. like a 15, 20. I think it's, yeah. I think it's 50, maybe 15 on sale. I may have gotten it during like their launch week was a, was a sale week or something. It's been out for a few weeks now, but um, I think 20 tops. And that's, it's worth every bit of it. Like it's, there's, like I said, there's so much more than, 
than it looks like, but also like don't don't watch too many YouTube videos of it. Like if you see a trailer and you think you're even remotely interested or you heard us talk about it and you're remotely interested, like don't don't ruin too much of the game for yourself because as much as there is emergent gameplay, some of the things are just like once you do X, Y happens and it'll always happen that way. So don't spoil yourself too much on it if you think you're interested um, or if you have spoiled yourself, give it to somebody who's never played a video game before and see if you can get them interested in gaming. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, to, I will say in conclusion, because I haven't plugged the walk show yet today. <laughs> Um, I, I did an episode on the walk show called, um, in defense of gaming and, and, and actually I think it was just a segment. I don't think it's a whole episode, but, but yeah, it's, you know, basically kind of making the point that we've been, been making, I think throughout this conversation where that, you know, everyone likes some kind of music, everyone likes some kind of movie or TV show and gaming has reached a point where it's on the same level as those things where, just because you don't like Doom or just because you don't like WoW or just because you don't like Call of Duty or whatever it is that you think of when you think of games, GTA, oh, that's too much. There are so many games now, and there's so, and quality ones. There's a lot of things out there for um, for everyone. And, and so I think you're absolutely right to suggest that this is a great way to maybe introduce someone who maybe doesn't think of themselves as a gamer uh, to games. Uh, well, thank you very much, Brett, for for sharing all of your experience with it. I was really interested to talk about this and see kind of what it was all about, because, again, I know you've been excited about it. Um, I think that's going to be all for our episode today. As always, if you'd like to interact with us, you can find us on Twitter at P-U-Y-S pod. And that's P-U-Y-S stands for pick up your sticks for those who can't do the math. Uh, if you like this episode, please rate, star, thumbs up and review us wherever you're listening. It really helps us out. Uh, thanks again. And don't forget. Pick up your sticks. Thanks, everyone.